We're going to be reading our scripture today from Joshua chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. And someone was kind to me and stopped at 11 because I would not have been able to pronounce the cities on the remainder of that chapter. Joshua chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. There remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering the take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Provide for yourself three men from each tribe that I may send them, and that they may arise and walk through the land and write a description of it according to their inheritance. Then they shall return to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall stay in its territory on the south, and the house of Joseph Joseph shall stay in their territory on the north. You shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God, for the Levites have no portion among you because the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh also have received their inheritance eastward beyond the Jordan, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Then the men arose and went, and Joshua commanded those who went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it, and return to me. Then I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed through the land, and described it by cities in seven divisions in a book. And they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the sons of Israel according to their divisions. Now the lot of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot between the sons of Judah and the sons of Joseph. God bless the reading of his scripture. No more emotion. Um, I'm pleased to announce uh, we have a guest, and a familiar guest, in that uh, Stephen Mayhew is going to be preaching today, and he's the son of Paul and Diana. Mayhew, and, and he comes to us from actually New Jersey, right? Uh, came here from about four years ago as an uh, elder up at the community church, and his wife Marguerite is here, and his sweet daughter uh, Sophia, who I had last year and in school. And uh, we're just blessed to have him uh, come and uh, teach the word, preach the word to us. Stephen. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> All right, I'll try that again. Um, I guess we'll work it out as we go along here. But uh, it is definitely an honor, a privilege to be here with you all. As you, some of you know, um, this is home. When I think of Ephrata, I de- definitely think of, well, at the time it was First Baptist Church, but now Grace Point, you know, the 90s, um, I was here quite a lot. And it was, it was just great memories of, in a lot of ways, growing up in this church. And uh, if I need to switch mics, you just let me know. Um, I, I do want to say that 
it's, it's hard for me to hear myself too, but I'm sure it's just as bad for you guys. Um, with that being said, um, I have the pleasure of going over Joshua 18. And before we get started here, I did want to just um, reiterate the, the idea of, of the book of Joshua. And, and it's such a great time, especially as I just, my heart goes out to you all as you guys are, are right now grieving. And um, I think Joshua is a good one for us to remember. And the reason I say that is if we look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, it is a verse that I know I have it up on the wall in my office, and many of you probably know it by heart. And I'll just, I'll just say it right now, too. It's where God is talking to Joshua, and I think it's a, a definitely a promise we can hold in our hearts today, too, which is be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I think as we go through this time, that's just a great reminder, a great theme of Joshua as well. Um, as we go into this. So let's get started. We're in Joshua chapter 18. Um, You got it. Can you all hear me okay? Okay, there we go. Let's do this. All right, Joshua chapter 18. Before we get into it, let's give a little bit of background for some of you here. Um, this might be your first week. I got two, of the, two elders actually joined me from, from uh, CCE back there, so I'm glad to have them here with me. Um, now, Joshua, it's a book in the Old Testament. It was most likely written by Joshua himself. The timeline for Joshua is, is a really exciting time. As you guys have been going through it, we know that Joshua... Uh, begins right at the end of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, and they finally now are getting to the promised land. They're going to cross over the Jordan River, and that is, that is a huge you know, change for them for the past years after being um, with the exodus out of, of Egypt there. The audience for the book of Joshua would definitely be for the Israelites themselves, and the reason for the book would to show just how God enabled Joshua to lead the armies of the Israelites to, to defeat the Canaanites in the promised land. And again, the idea of Joshua 1.9 um, in regards to, you know, don't be discouraged, I'm with you wherever you go. And I think that theme will follow us throughout this entire uh, passage here. So, I'll be going through verses 1 through 11, and thank you, was, was, that, was that Gail or Gay? Gay, who, who, pre, uh, who, who uh, went through them? Yes, I did that on purpose uh, not to do uh, verses 12 through 28, because I'm going to go through that, and you guys are going to have to live with me as I try to pronounce all of these cities. But up till then, it's pretty good for us. So I'm going to go verse by verse, 1 through 11, 12 through 28. We'll take that into two chunks. And I want us to think about as we get through 12 through 28 that in my mind that's the actual exciting part. So I want you to be thinking through that as we um, go through the book of Joshua or the chapter 18 here. And as we also go through this, we can put up the next slide which is the main point is, is go. And the idea here is go. It's not one of those um, angry types of go. No, it's the go like you, you're empowered, you're encouraged. You, you have the backing of God to go out and do things. And we'll see that throughout this chapter here too. So let's get started. We're going to start verse 1, and I'm going to read through, and I'm reading in NASB. So if you want to follow along, I'll be in the NASB version here. 
Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So as we get into this, I want to make sure we get to our first point here, which is we see God's sovereignty. And the reason I can say that with confidence is that up to this point, we have seen in the previous chapters, right? Chapters 1 through 17 in all reality. We've seen how God has allowed the Israelites to defeat their enemies wherever they go, right? We see what happened at Jericho. Was it them defeating the, 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 the city of Jericho? No, God is the one who did that, right? They, all they had to do was pretty much walk around it. God did the work there. We see how God has guided them faithfully throughout these last 17 chapters. Um, you might be saying, well, then, okay, why Shiloh? What is the Israelites assembled in Shiloh? Is, is that new? And it is new to them. So if we go to the first map, and you guys have a map in your bulletin as well. But here's a close-up. If you look there, I have two arrows. We see Gilgal, and we see Shiloh with the arrows there. And so I want to make mention of when they first crossed over. So back in chapter 1, when they crossed over the Jordan River. So here we have Joshua leading the troops. They set up their, their headquarters. Their war headquarters would be encamped over there in Gilgal. And then, now we see over here in, in chapter 18, they are moving up to Shiloh. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. The, the idea of, of this, uh, the, the t they set up the tent of meeting. Okay, it says there in verse 1. The tent of meeting, other translations would, would say tabernacle. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? So that is where they worship God. They've been worshiping him while they're in the desert. And now while they're in um, their promised land, they have been in Gilgal. And here we are. They're moving up to Shiloh. So realize that the seven years have passed of looking up at the map from being in Gilgal to now being up in Shiloh. So this has been some time from chapter 1 up to chapter 18 now. The reason they'd move up to Shiloh is probably it's the heart of the country. It's a great location, center location. It's quite near Jerusalem. It's about uh, 30 miles north of Jerusalem there. And it's a convenient place along with the fact that Joshua himself is from Ephraim. So he's from that tribe. So therefore, it'd be a good location for him. Um, the main thing I want us to look at this, what does that last little bit of the verse say? The land was subdued before then. So the idea here is the land was subdued, but it wasn't apportioned and it wasn't occupied by them. That is critical as we read through the next few verses here. Because the idea is that, okay, they've subdued their enemies, but they haven't defeated them by any means up to this point. So let's go on. Verse 2. But there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided up their inheritance. So from the last few Sundays, and um, I know you guys didn't get to go over chapter 17 from last week, uh, but we see that five tribes up to this point have had their uh, land occupied. And we're going to go into that a little bit more. But we still have seven tribes who haven't done what they're called to do. And remember I said it's been about seven years now, so it's not like they haven't had time to occupy their land. And we're going to see that in verse 3 here. What does Joshua say in verse 3? So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? And I, we see here up on the screen the, the idea of the people's responsibility, or in this case, the lack thereof. Uh, we see in Joshua 18 that the tribes, they need to step up. They have 
been called to do something, and up to this point, they haven't done it. So in verse 3 here, we see the, the key term, how long will you put off um, other versions, for example, the King James Version, it says, how long will you slack? Other ones would be um, more contemporary ways of saying it would be, how come you're being complacent? Why are you being lazy? Those would be possible different words we can put into there. And w before we like get on them too hard for doing this, it came into my mind, too, as I was studying this, that, okay, we're talking about the Israelites. They have been wandering the desert for the last 40 years. They're nomadic people. Before then, they were in Egypt, and more than likely, they, you know, they're wandering there, too. They, they are, they're more of a nomadic people, so they are not used to having a set land that is theirs. They would be, okay, here today, there tomorrow. So, regardless of any of that, though, the key point here that we have to remember is they did not fulfill what God had called them to do. And that, that is something that I, you know, gets close to my heart as, as I think of myself, and I think it's something we can, uh, we can see in our own lives. So we've seen it's been seven years since they've crossed the Jordan River. They haven't settled their land. They need to act. The land that remained was further away. If we go to the next slide where we see a bigger picture, this is a map that you guys have in your bulletin as well. We see that the land that they're going to have to take, it, it's, it's north of Manasseh up there on the, on the west side of the Jordan River, and there's a little bit between Ephraim and Judah. So there's some land that they have to take, but it's farther away. There's work to be done. So even though God has given them the victory and the land, they still have to fight for it. There is work to do. And here's a quote from a pulpit commentary, and I thought it was perfect for this. The slackness... And I said slack, as in, but they call it slackness. The translation is a literal one. In the arduous conflict against the powers of evil is not confined to just Jews. The exhortation needs repeating to every generation and not less to our own than any other. And I thought that was critical. We can see this. If we think of a practical application, you know, can you relate to that? Can I relate to that? I mean, the, right away when I started thinking about this, it, it dawned on me. I remember about four or five years ago, coming home from work, we are still in New Jersey at the time, and it had just been a rough, rough week, let alone day. And I get home, and I have a choice, don't I? I my mind, my body says, I just want to go on the couch and just maybe, you know, sit back and watch some TV. But I have a daughter who's there, and I can't just stop what I'm doing. There is work to be done, right? When I get home, I can't just slack off. No, there are days when, yes, I do need to take a break. But in all reality, majority of the time, what do I need to do? When I get off work, I now need to be a father. I need to be a husband. I need to be a friend. Those ideas there. And I think that is something that we can relate to the idea of, like, okay, we just want to be complacent and lazy. And... Sometimes it does. I think of home projects. How many of your home projects, of my home projects, do I leave at 90%? We can deal with it for a long time, and uh, we can just leave it there, but the idea is that we're not finishing what we're called to do. <clears throat> so there is work that we are called to do. As Christians, we're called to obey God and, and to take action. And just like Joshua challenged the tribes, God challenges us. And we need to remember that just like the Israelites, they had a, a physical war to do. We have a spiritual war against the devil. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, it's, it's a memory verse that I have that, 
that um, is dear to my heart and I have it memorized. Um, and it says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. But then it doesn't stop there. It then goes on to say, all that you do, do in love. And I think that is a key thing as we go through this. We, we have worked. We need to be on the alert. We are at war. Even though we might not realize it from a daily basis, we need to have that, that vigilance stuck in our minds, stuck in our hearts. And I just want to make sure that, that we just pause here for a moment because this is critical. And if you don't leave with anything else, I think this is something that we need to make sure. When What I'm talking about right now are, are kind of like works, doing things like that, but in all reality, our salvation, that, that we are justified by Christ through, through him alone, right? That cannot be taken away from us. And as, as we go through, as we grieve uh, for different things, we can stand secure in the knowledge that our salvation it is secure in Christ. The victory is won. We are saved. We are justified through Jesus. And that's it, right? We are done. Now, we can be talking about works. We can be talking about different things that God is doing in us. And that is more the sanctification, the, 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 the idea of like, hey, we are still here. Why are we still here, right? We are now saved. But why are we here? Our work isn't done. And I loved what Tim Bohr said um, back in July when he preached to you guys. I, I believe he did chapter 13. So I've been following along, if you guys didn't know, online, been watching it on YouTube. And it has been really cool to see the different people come in, get their different ideas. And I loved what jo uh, sorry, Tim said. He said the following, there is no re retirement from serving our Lord. And I thought that was, that was just a great way of saying it because how many times do we think in our lives like, okay, hey, I've worked 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it is, I'm now going to just take it easy, right? I, I now do it. Or the idea of like, oh, if I only had a million dollars, I'd stop what I'm doing now and just take it easy. No, as Christians, it doesn't matter if we retire from the, our vocation or whatever we do. We are called to serve the Lord till our dying breath. And I think that is something that... that uh, um, we as uh, we can be encouraged by that, you know. That's not something we do because we have to, but because of, of out of a love for God. And I'll get into that a little bit more. Let's go on to verse four here. Provide for yourselves three men from each tribe, so that I may send them, and that they may arise and walk through the land and write a description of it according to their, their inheritance. Then they shall return to me. I thought this was brilliant of what Joshua did as a as a. I'm a team leader with with my work. Um, I'm always trying to learn new ideas of how to empower other people so that, that they own it. And as my buddy Jim would say, he says, do you own it, right? He'll ask their people, do you own this? And that's something that I, I've been taking to heart. And uh, Joshua here, he does something very interesting. He could have said, as we look at the map, he said, you know what? You guys have slacked off. You guys have not done what you're called to do. So guess what? I'm going to tell you where you're going to go. Benjamin, you're going here. You know, uh, the other tribes, I can't think of them right now, but Dan, that came to my mind. They go there, right? So the idea, he could have just told them, you're going here. But no, what does he do? He sends out these seven tribes, so 21 people, you know, uh, groups of three uh, and seven of them. So 21 people to go and survey the land. They now have a stake in the land and the outcome, right? This is for themselves, for their family, for their tribes. They want to know what, what's important. I think as farmers, people who have been farmers, I assume that you guys have a stake in the land that, that you farm. And that is something that you want to make sure you know where your border is versus my border. If I start taking your crops, 
you might not be too happy about that, right? There's a stake in that. There's a stake in this is something that you is yours, right? And I think that is great because I, I, one of the exact opposites of, of this would be, um, have, have you guys heard of the TV show? I don't know if it's still on. I was over at a friend's house a few years ago in New Jersey, and we were watching how the states got their shape. I think it was on the History Channel or something like that. But it was absolutely fascinating how some of these states got their shape. And what was really concerning to me and hilarious, I guess I can say that now, is the fact that the, the surveyors who were going out surveying the land, well, that I guess the federal government ran low on some funds, and so instead of paying them with money, they gave them alcohol, which is not a great thing to give somebody when you're paying them. Now they're going to go out and work and try to make some straight lines of, hey, here's, here's how we're going to divide up this land. So they had no stake in it. They didn't care versus we see here the Israelites. They have a stake. This is theirs. This is something that they're going after. Verse 5. And they shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall stay in its territory in the south, and the house of Joseph shall stay in the territory in the north. Now, in chapter 17, well, actually chapter 16, we, I believe in chapter 16 I wrote it here because we missed that. Um, chapter 16, you guys did that one, where Ephraim, that is one of the two tribes of Joseph, I'm sorry, one of the t two sons of Joseph, they got their land, Chapter 17, Manasseh, which we see up on the map, they got their land. Now, when we look at Manasseh, you're like, oh my goodness, they got some land. And they did. And why is that? So if we remember back, we have the, the eldest son, Reuben. He sinned against his father, and so he lost two things. He, one, he lost the double allotment of land, and then two, he lost the, the right of, of power. So Judah gets the right of power, so they, they, they're down there on the southern side there. And then the, um, Manasseh, one of the two sons of Joseph, actually the second son of Joseph, which is interesting, he gets the double allotment. Therefore, we got the Manasseh east, Manasseh west. And so that's just something to think about it. But what um, Joshua is saying here, and by the way, if I say Joshua and Joseph and intermix them, I apologize. Uh, that's very easy to do in this chapter. Um, but but re, the, the main point I want to make here is that, okay, we see that Joseph is saying, oh, sorry, Joseph's sons, they get their land. Judah, they keep their land. So we're not div dividing up what's already been allotted to them. Okay, now we're getting to verse 6. And you shall write a description of the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. Then I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. So I want to make mention of that idea and think about this because this is going to come up three times. If it comes up multiple times in, in a Bible, that's pretty important. We see that, see that Joshua says here that he is going to cast lots before the Lord their God. So that is going to be something that we're going to see, and I want us to think back on that too. Along with the fact that um, in this, we see here that he's telling them to describe the land. He wants them to map it out, to take a true survey, to get detailed view of what's going on here. And let's go into verse six. I'm sorry, verse seven now. For the Levites have no portion among you, because the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh also have received their inheritance eastward beyond the Jordan, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. I, I really liked how Joshua did 
something that was interesting to me. At first I didn't catch it, but I read it through it a few times, as you can imagine, as I've been studying for this, and it dawned on me like, oh, wait a second, he, he keeps, he's reiterating the fact that, hey, the Levites, don't worry about them, they're taken care of, right? And, and he's also stressing that, that the inheritance is, is being going out there, so he's, he's stressing the idea that all of Israel, all 12 tribes are accounted for. And I think that's something a, a good leader it does here. It just reiterates things that, yeah, we might know it, but remind us. And I think that's something that, that we can take to heart there as well, that uh, a lot of times we need to be reminded that God is for us, God loves us. And, and that's just something here that there is that idea of, of he is concerned about his people. Verse 8. Then the men arose and went, and Joshua commanded those who went to write a description of the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and write a description of it, and return to me. Then I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So this is my third and main point, which is go. As I mentioned beforehand, I just want us to, to, to think through that. What does he say here in the middle? Joshua says the following. Go and walk through the land. So we see here that God, through Joshua, has a plan for the Israelites. So God has a plan for the Israelites. God has a plan for us. The other thing here is he says, return to me and I will cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. So the idea there is that came to my mind is that God is with them. God has been with them throughout this entire time, right? He has never stopped being with them throughout all the previous 17 chapters. And now in chapter 18, God is still with them. And he, has a, he not only has a plan for them, but he is with them. And God is with us too. And it, when they go to these areas, remember, this is not something simple. There are people who want to kill them wherever they go. They literally have people, the Canaanites, who are still in the land, who... Even though the land has been um, uh, subdued, there are still people there who would love to take um, and kill a few Israelites whenever they get a chance. So there is a battle to fight. So God has a battle for them to continue to fight. And I think that applies to us as well. I don't think that's too far reaching to, to take that and say that, that there's a fight for us. Okay, and let's move on here. Oh, we do see, again, the casting of lots. So that was the second time there. Okay, verse... Nine. So the men went and passed through the land and wrote a description of it by cities in seven divisions in a book, and they came to Joshua at the camp at Shiloh. This was kind of interesting. Josephus, he's a, a Jewish historian, and it, it stated that, that he, when he was writing about this that in regards to the Israelites going throughout the land, that it took over seven months for this. So it might just be one verse saying, hey, they, they went through the land, they got a description of it. This was massive. I was just thinking about this idea, right? Okay, Grant County, it's pretty big, but it's not that big. Um, but if you were to say, okay, we're going to go through Grant County and maybe a few other counties around here, and you're going to do this maybe with a horse or something like that, even here, our land, it's hard to get from point A to point B, potentially, if we have to cross over, let's say, the Columbia River, things like that. The idea here, I mean, if you just go through, if, we, if you look at your map handout, and you look at where Benjamin is there, right? And 
Benjamin right there, they are in crazy, crazy land with incredible slopes and things like that. So the idea that this took time and dedication, this was not something that, um, if it was in you know one of the 1980 movies, uh, which I still remember somewhat with growing up, where this would be where they'd have the music playing, uh, all, all, everybody be all excited and they, there'd be music playing and people are working hard and it would be a fast motion and all of a sudden now they have this cool car built or whatever else was done in the movie. The idea here is, is no, no, this takes time, this takes dedication, there was hard work to be done here. And, and they had to travel through land like we had said before that was defeated but still had enemies so they had to trust God through this. Now verse 10. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land for the sons of Israel according to their divisions. We see here the third time about lots. And what happens here, we see that Joshua states that he's cast the lots before the Lord. Now, you might be asking, why would he cast lots? What's the big deal here, let alone before the Lord? There's two things here. Number one is Joshua continues to reiterate the idea of before the Lord, their God. This is Yahweh. They wouldn't even pronounce that. They wouldn't even write out the whole word, right? Like, this is the God, the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac. So by doing this in front of God and God being the one involved, this would stop the endless quarrels, the endless infighting, all the complaints, anything that could happen between these seven tribes who are now getting their divisions by how? By casting of lots. Now, I do want to make mention here that this is the first time in the book of Joshua where they cast lots for their land allotment. Now, prior to this, they were allotted they were allotted land, but this time they actually cast lots, which, okay, if you're going to do it, you better do it before the Lord, right? So Joshua was, I, I'm assuming that God was working through Joshua at this point to do something like this, because if, if that wouldn't be the case, I mean, could you just imagine how um, tribe A versus tribe B sees that tribe A has a lot greener grass on their side and tries to take it? So I think that, that is a pretty cool thing that Joshua did right there. Um, now we're going to get into the inheritance of, of Benjamin here. So verse 11. Now the lot of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot lay between the sons of Judah and the sons of Joseph. So if we look back at the map again, thank you for the close-up there, we can now see that, okay, Benjamin gets some land. And where do they get it? They get it with Ephraim, Joseph on top there, and they get Judah down below them. And this is where things start to get exciting, especially when, I, when you hear me try to uh, read out some of these words. It'll be very exciting. Now, um, uh, why is this exciting? I want us to build this up, to start thinking this through, even in your own minds, especially people who deal with land. So my, my ranchers, farmers, all those came to my mind right away. Like, okay, these borders, these mean something to, to more than just like, I have a house, I, ha I have a stake on both sides of my property in the back and two in the front, I pretty much know where my land is versus you go out to a farm like when I go out hunting and I think, was it the two weeks ago, one of the people speaking, um, I was going to talk about hunting and he beat me to it. So I was really upset. No, no. But it was really cool that the idea of like, okay, my dad and I, we, we have this uh, map app called Onyx. Uh, was it Onyx or Onyx? I can't think of it right now. But it allows us to see like, okay, we're now in, in you know, someone else's uh, area when we're out hunting. And 
it was demoralizing the first time we had that because like, what do you mean this isn't public land? I mean, there's no difference. This was public land here, but right there isn't. But the idea of like, no, borders are borders for a reason, right? There's, there's reasons for this. So let's go ahead and read um, verse 12, and I'll read 12 through 20 right now. So this is going to be the easier part. The 21 on down, that it gets really rough. Okay. Their border on the north side was from the Jordan, and then the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north, and went up through the hill country westward, and it ended at the wilderness of beth Then from there the border continued to Luz, to the side of Luz, that is Bethel, southward, and the border went down to Adaroth, Adar, near the hill which lies on the south of the, of the lower Beth-horn. And the border changed direction from there and turned around on the west side southward from the hill which lies opposite Beth Horn southward. And it ended at Kerath Bel, that is Kerath Jerem, a city of the sons of Judah. This was on the west side. Then this, the south side was from the edge of Kerath Jerem, and the border went westward and went to the fountain of the waters of uh, Nephtoah. Then the border went down to the edge of the hill, which is in the valley of Ben-Haman, which is the valley of Rephraim, northward. And it went down to the valley of Hinnom, to the slope of the, Jezu- of the Jezubite southward, and went down to En-Elrog, I'm sorry, En-Rogel. Then it turned northward and went to En-Shemesh, and went to Gilioth, which is opposite the ascent of Adamum, and it went down to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And it continued to the, to the side in front of the Arif, uh, Arabah, northward, and went down to the Arabah. Then the border continued to the side of Beth-Hogel, or Hogla, and northward, and, went, and the border ended at the north bay of the Salt Sea, or uh, we, we know it as the Dead Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern border. Moreover, the Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin according to their families and according to its borders all around. We made it. Okay, so what does that all mean? Really simply put, when we look at this map up here, two things. North to south, it's about 12 miles. Small area. East to west, we're looking at roughly 26 miles. So... I said that a lot faster than this, but we didn't get all the the nuances of, they know exactly where their borders are, right? And in the next part, we even see they're talking more about their cities. And I I don't know about you, but when I first was going through this, my eyes, even when I'm trying to study for this, like, oh my goodness. When I see words I can't pronounce, a lot of times I'll just start to glaze over, even in my reading, which makes me a horrible speller. But the idea there too is, is, as we're going through this, this would be super, super important to them. If today someone said, hey, Steve, your long-lost uncle just gave you this inheritance. And with this inheritance, he said, okay, here it is. I would want to know what it is, whether it's money, property, whatever else. And when I find out about it, I want to know more about it. I think the same thing can be said, too, you know, as, we, as we're reading through this. Because I want us to start to see some of the excitement as we go through this. And... and um, Hopefully, as we read through uh, verses 21 through the end of the chapter here, we start seeing, okay, we're going to start talking about these cities now, and then we're going to go into this excitement and why it is so exciting. Okay, let's do it. 
And bear with me because this is where it gets rough. Now the cities of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho, Beth Hogla, Emek Kazez, Beth Arab, Zemaram, and Bethel, Avim, Para, Ophra, uh, Sephar, Ammoni, Ophini, Geba, twelve cities with their villages, Gibeon, Ramah, Beroth, Mezpah, Shesphara, and Mozah, Rechim, Irpil, and Terelah, Zela, Helapha, the Jezubite city, that is Jerusalem, Geba, Kiriath, 14 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the son of Benjamin according to their families. All right. So why is this exciting? We see that God's land, or God has given them this land, right? This is huge. Think about this. How do I say this? And it's hard to come up with things on the fly, and I probably shouldn't do it, but I am. So here we go. Let's say you are brand new to the United States. You have been traveling with your family for years and years and years, right? Now just think of all the people who escaped out of, you know, whether it be Germany during World War II, different things like that. They have nothing. They literally are coming to the United States or to whatever country that, that they are finally getting into, and someone tells them, this is yours. And I just even think about here, like uh, we had land out here before water. This place was a dry desert that you really couldn't do much. But now all of a sudden, you know, we had land after the Grand Coulee Dam and, and this amazing area that we have here. How important it is to, to see that, okay, God has given them this land. We see God's grace to them. And why do I say God's grace? Remember, these people, they've been lazy. They've been slacking. They haven't been doing what they were called to do for the last seven years, right? And we even saw in the previous verses, and it's been brought up multiple times. I mean, even if we look back at chapter 16 and 17, what do we see there? We see in verse, I think in chapter 16, I wrote this down this morning because I just want to reiterate it. They did not drive out the Canaanites. So that's chapter 16, verse 10. Chapter 17, verse 12. And this is talking about, so the two tribes of Joseph here. Um, i sorry, the two sons of Joseph. In verse 12 of chapter 17, it says the same thing. Did not drive out the Canaanites. God is gracious to them. And God is taking care of them even when they don't deserve it. And I think that's something when we try to look through their eyes now, we see that finally these nomadic people, they have a, a place they can call home, a place where they can secure. They can secure this area for their families, for potential for future generations. This new land, this is something that God provided, not something that they truly did, right? They finally have a home and a place they can call their own. And I think, you know, going back to the whole idea of farmers, you know, uh, being able to live out on the Gossett's farm back in 94 and 95, that was a blast, right? And the idea of, of how um, a farmer, they know their land, they know their boundaries, and it's, that's incredible. Now, I'm going to go into a little bit more about the Benjamites. Okay, the Benjamites, we just heard, they got their land. So they're the first of these seven people. What's interesting is they're the youngest tribe, right? They're, of all the 12 tribes, they're the youngest, and yet they're the ones who got um, an allotment first. That's interesting. Now, the Benjamites, they were renowned warriors. If you want to read more about them, you can check out Judges chapter uh, 19 and 20. And in Judges 19, six, uh, verse 16, it says that they were warriors. 
they were said to be able to sling a stone at a hare and not miss. And when I'm talking about a hare, I'm not talking about the bunny rabbit. I'm talking about if I had hair, they could hit it, right? That type of idea, they could hit a hare and not miss. Um, First Chronicles 12.20 goes on to say that they were equipped with bows using both the right and left hands along with slings, right? So these were incredible long-distance fighters during a time when typically everybody fought close by each other. So I'd be in serious trouble if I went to go fight them with my sword and they were, um, you know, shooting at me yards and yards away, right? Uh, it's, it's no competition. So they were incredible warriors. Now, the other thing that we know about the Benjamites, King Saul, he was a Benjamite. He was from Gibeah. And so the first king of, of Israel there, uh, King Saul, he set up his royal court in Gibeah. Now, David, you know, King David, when he, after he killed Goliath, King Saul gave um, his daughter to David in marriage. Now, that's some of the interesting stuff. Unfortunately, there's a sad part to their history. And the key point is they did not stay vigilant in their relationship with God. And how do we see that? We see that, uh, I won't go into the details, um, but there is just a horrible, horrible story, and it's in Judges, there in chapter 19 and 20, and basically we see a Levite and his concubine, where um, the men of Gibeah go after them, and come morning, the concubine, she's dead, and the, what was really interesting is the 11 tr- other tribes went to the Benjamites and said, hey, give us the men of Gibeah, so that, you know, for, for, for uh, basically judge them, and the Benjamites wouldn't do it. What ended up happening was the Benjamites, after all things said were done, they were basically wiped out. There were, they believed that there were about 300 to 500 men remaining after this time, which is you know, a sad thing. Uh, the idea there, again, is that vigilance, right, with, with their relationship. If they're not following God, they're doing abhorrent things, that doesn't bode well. So, moving on to a little bit of practical applications as I, as I kind of close up here. So... Uh, the idea of sanctification, I want to bring that back again, right? And I, I love the, the, when I was going through this, at the end of it, it really dawned on me, and I, I wrote it to myself, and I was like, okay, this is a question to me, and I think it's a, a very pertinent question to you. Is God my lot? Is he my portion? And, and we see in Psalm 19, verse 15, the following, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. And then um, John 1.12 is a verse that um, my dad actually, uh, he, he uh, gave this verse to me uh, quite a few years ago, about four or five years ago, and it's something that, that I've kept close to my heart, and I, it's, I think it's great for us talking about an inheritance. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And that idea that, that we, we, once again, from a salvation standpoint, we are saved and now we're, we're God's children. We have God's, God is giving us an, his inheritance, right? And, and the, the idea of like, okay, so is God my portion, right? Is, is, is God my lot? Is that what I'm seeking after or is there something else I'm, I'm seeking after? And, and with the idea of we can see God's sovereignty in our own lives. And I, I wrote this down because I thought this was something that was, it was really helpful to me as I was going through this myself. Um, and I, I hope it's something that you can apply to yourselves as well. God has given me this very life. He has sovereignly placed me in my family, so in the Mayhew family. He has brought me to Ephrata, Washington with my wife and my daughter. 
He has brought us to CCE. He's given me the very job that I have, you know, the, the lack of hair on my head. That's all. God is sovereign for it all. He is the one there. And there is peace in knowing that I am in the Lord's hand. And I think that is something that as we go through life, as, whether it's a time of grieving, a time of, of depression, a time of sadness, or a time of joy, knowing that we are in the Lord's hand, especially during this time of COVID. If I can take a quick pause here. So you might have heard I'm now, uh, uh, how to say that, I humbly say this, that I'm now an elder over at CCE. Well, I was asked to, to join and, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I felt like this is where God's calling me, not something that I would just jump up and do automatically. But it was really interesting. I got uh, to be an elder starting January of 2020. Well, we had our first January, I think, meeting, which was a bunch of us getting together. Our second meeting was basically COVID, right? I mean, of all the times to get started to try something new, that's probably not a good time to do it, especially in a leadership position. And talk about having fear, not knowing what to do, uh, let alone how to do it in a way that glorifies God and also try to keep people safe. All these things are going through your mind. And that's where we can. Some, we have to take a step back. And I think just like we see here with the Israelites, Joshua called them out to survey the land, right? Sometimes I, you, we need to take a step back. We need to see the big picture. As we're going through life, it's easy to get caught up. And how many times, as, as a team leader, um, I, will, I will say to, to one of my uh, people, hey, Stop for a second. What you're working on, you're doing a great job with it, but we got fires over here while you're doing this thing on the side. We need to take a step back to see the big picture. And I think that's where we can be encouraged because we are not alone in this. We have the Holy Spirit, the very God with us, right? God is with us. We have God's word with us to help us to navigate through life and to determine what he has called us to do. So let me reiterate the main point and close us out here. We need to go. God has a plan, like for the Israelites, he has a plan for us. Uh, we are in a spiritual battle, and we need to stay vigilant. Tell our dying breath we have to stay vigilant. If not, we can, our salvation isn't going to be in jeopardy, but our, our life can be in jeopardy, and we can go down a path that is horrible. We can trust in God's promises, his word, and we can know that he is in control, that God is with us. And um, as I close out here, I think what was, it just came to me when I was going over this, this last week, when I was thinking more and more about the go. I mean, the Great Commission, just, it just dawned on me right then, right? It's like, well, that's exactly, what, what, why am I still here? Why are you still here? The Great Commission. So I'm going to read um, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, okay? Because I think this is encouraging to us all right here. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's uh, verse, uh, 20, or, sorry, uh, verse 20. Teaching them to follow all that I command you, and, be, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think a lot of times we can get caught up in the idea of like, okay, I'm supposed to go to make disciples, but hold on. You're not doing it alone. God is with us. God is with us to the end of the age, right? Till our dying breath, he is with us. And I think that's something that we, as a group here, we can be encouraged. And as individuals, as we have to go through life when it's tough, um, we can know that we are not alone, even though it might feel like it some days. Okay, 
I'm going to close this out in prayer, and we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for allowing me to, to have this, um, this great time here to be able to do this. And Lord, I ask that uh, with the words that came out of my mouth, if there are words that were not from you, that, that everybody would just forget them. And the words that, that you want people to hear, um, that, that they will stay put. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can come to you anytime, anywhere, that you are with us and we are not alone that you have given us your word and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're with us here always. And we, we just uh, give you the rest of this service time and ask that you would watch over us, bless us, and let us just joyfully uh, worship you together. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let me close with uh, this familiar benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. But as we uh, depart here, now to him who is able to, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>